0: Hello people of the world and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project Podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today I got to interview Amy Dresner and to say that I learned a lot from her would be a total understatement. Amy is a hilarious, kind, smart woman who was so powerful and bold in sharing her story and being so completely raw and honest. A lot of the time I think that's what we need and that's how we feel us alone is when we get the experience of seeing somebody's story in that kind of raw, honest way versus just what we're comfortable with showing the world amy talked a lot about her drug and alcohol addiction her sex and love addiction and struggling with anorexia growing up we also talked about what that looks like later in life with aging and just being a woman in today's world so yeah i learned so much and i hope that you guys enjoy If you guys are enjoying the Unity Project podcast and you want to support and get more involved, then I would be so, so honored and just thankful if you went over to my Patreon page for the Unity Project, where you can give as little as $1 a month and become a big part of why I get to actually make this podcast and to help me continue to make this podcast and continue having these really cool interviews about topics that I really think are going to change the world if we talk about more. Or you can go pick up a copy of my book, Finding Home. You can do that at my website, jackiegronland.com. Or if you can't afford to support me financially, that is absolutely okay. Leaving a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. That helps so, so much more than I think we give credit to. So any of those things are wonderful. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Dresner with sidebar. That's how you say your last name, right. Dresner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me start over. Amy Dresner. How's it going? How's it going, Jackie? It's going, it's going better now. You are the first interesting person I've talked to today. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yes, man. The day is still young. The day is still in quarantine, pandemic world. (laughs) But still, thank you so much for wanting to do this with me. Oh, my God. My pleasure. I think it's a
1: really, really important uh, issue to tackle and one that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people don't want to talk about. So, I'm happy to, you know, shed, shed. Shed my experience. Shed my, uh, any kind of light I can. Just share my experience and any insights I've had, and also just make people feel less alone.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. That you know, that is a very true purpose to this.
1: Yeah, and break stigma. I mean, stigma and shame are like not, not good. Yeah. Do you not Do you helpful. want to take
0: a second and tell the people listening just like a quick, brief overview of what you do? I know. Your writer, speaker?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I was a journalist, an addiction recovery journalist for like six or seven years. I was a comic for five years. Uh, then I wrote a book called My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean about an addiction memoir. And um, that came out in 2017. I have a podcast called Rehab Confidential, which we started, I guess, seven months ago. Uh, with a social worker, Joe Schrank. And uh, yeah, I do speaking gigs when they happen. (laughs) I consider myself sort of a mental health and recovery activist.
0: Very, very cool. So Amy, the the question I normally ask people starting off this podcast is to to describe the relationship that you have with your body right now. Yeah, (laughs) steep diving in there.
1: All right, total Mm -hmm. honesty. Um, I'm at an extremely low weight, like a weight that I was at when I was anorexic. Um, most of that, I think, is due to stress, and uh, so I'm, I'm too skinny. Um, I don't think it looks good. I'm trying to gain weight. I can't seem to really do it, which I'm, I'm like, I have cancer! Everyone's like, you don't have cancer, you're just not eating enough, dummy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm 51, and so, like, I have tendonitis in my wrist. We have to do fucking surgery on it. I'm going through perimenopause, which is, like, you know, I've already been, you know, I'm already moody and crazy, and now it's, like, going through puberty again and a whole new level of crazy. Um, So, you know, and there's aging. So um, I haven't gotten COVID, but I have had an earache for three months on and off, and, you know, it's just like different problems. So I don't, um, Yeah, I've never seen my body really as my friend. Um, so right now me and my body are, you know, I'm having a hard time like bathing, like with, you know what I mean? Like I, I, just in terms of like, because of the pandemic and working from home, like basic, basic shit has gone out the window. And I don't think I'm the only person that that's happened to in terms of mm-hmm. like, everyone's like, oh, who, who cares? Like, why am I going to wash my hair? I'm not leaving the house. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like any kind of self-care and, tr- and I don't cook. I've never cooked. And so um, I'm having, I'm really trying to gain weight, which I know is weird to hear a woman say because you never hear that. And... Um, figure out what's going on physically. I'm kind of going through some physical changes that I'm not loving. Yeah, it's not great, you know? So, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, I was at the gynecologist and she was like, you know, so I see, she's like down there and she's like, oh, I see some, you know, thickening and discoloration that comes with perimenopause. I'm like, I have never felt sexier in my life. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) fucking kill me. Are you fucking kidding? Uh What do I need, a fucking labiaplast? Uh, like, what are you saying, bitch? Like, I was like, oh, I haven't been, I haven't had sex in four and a half years. I'm really, so I'm kind of sexually anorexic too. Uh-huh. I don't feel like I'm like uh-huh. an eating disorder anorexic. I don't have the thinking that I had when I was anorexic, which is like control and trying to control my feelings and counting calories and weighing myself and excessive exercise. Like that, none of that is part of this. I'll eat cheese and potato chips. I don't have a scale. I don't exercise regularly. I'm trying to put on weight. I don't think it looks great, but I just, yeah. So that's where I'm at. I don't, I've never really been in my body. I'm not a dancer. I've never been an athlete. I'm a writer. I've always been very in my head and I've always fallen down a lot. I'm not very coordinated. Um, And you know, when I developed epilepsy in my thirties, uh, from crystal meth, I really felt like my body betrayed me because then all of a sudden I could just seize out of nowhere with no aura. And I was like, well, fuck you, man. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's like you have no
1: control. Yeah, it was really yeah, it's like you have scary. No it was really scary. I mean, so yeah, and I've always I've been diagnosed with body dysmorphic disorder, face and body. So uh, my relationship with my body has always been fraught. With difficulty. And, you know, as a recovering drug addict, I mean, my body was the way, and a recovering sex addict as, was the way to change my feelings. Yeah. I was like. So it was kind of like a tool. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it was kind of like, like a tool. This is the vessel to changing my feelings. You know, like a, uh, there's a little, uh, I think <laughs> a line in my book, it doesn't matter if it's a Xanax or a donut or a dick. Like, I was like, I didn't care. Like, I was like, I got to change my feelings. So you know it wasn't like my body's my temple like that was never my thing you know Mm -hmm. I quit vaping finally in the Uh pandemic you know it's been very hard to not be self-destructive I was a cutter at one point you know yeah so it's just been like me kind of you know and it's hard because everyone's like oh you know you have a beautiful body or you're beautiful or whatever and it's like I don't see any of that you know It's just I've had a a very complicated relationship with my body, which doesn't seem to be getting any easier. Although now that I'm 51, I'm like, fuck me. I wish I was 35 again. I didn't even know how good I
0: had it then. You know what I mean? Like
1: Jesus. Jesus.
0: Oh gosh. So, so t- tell me, you said earlier you developed anorexia around 19. 19 you said? Yeah. After I lost
1: my virginity at 19, it was a really, really bad experience. And it's in the book. And it was okay. really a horrible, traumatic experience. And I actually got HPV oh. and I had to have surgery. And they had to do like laser on my cervix and leap and all this. It was really bad. So my intro to the world of sex was like that and then within six months I was completely anorexic so for me it was a way to withdraw I think and become like childlike and not be a woman and not be sexual and it was also a way to I kind of had a nervous breakdown at 19 and so being Really, and my anorexia and bulimia and excessive exercise was the way to control my feelings. I wasn't on antidepressants, and I hadn't found drugs yet, and so it was the way that I was waging the war against myself, but also trying to control my feelings.
0: That makes sense. You said at some point in your book, I, I wrote it down. I left my, well, in my notes, my phone's over there, but something about someone asked you, How or when do you feel safe? And then you talked about how (laughs) you are what makes you uh, unsafe or something like that.
1: Well, I don't. I I didn't know the answer. I said I don't know. I've had money and I've had men and I've had everything, and and, uh, nothing made me feel safe. I said me more than anything makes me feel unsafe. Yeah, you know, I've broken so many patterns. I've broken so many. What I'm sorry, I've broken so. This this is part of perimenopause where you just can't remember things. It's terrific. Um, oh no, I've broken no so many um, packs with myself. You know where I've said I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do that. So I've lost trust with myself. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to be disciplined. People are like, why do you have to like check in with someone? Why can't you just? You know, if, you, if your word to yourself is enough, I'm like, ha ha! You know what I mean? As someone who's been to seven rehabs, like, no. Oh, like, gosh. I need to be accountable to other people. Even with the eating. Yeah. I was at one point, like, telling my trainer, I was like, okay, eight, eating, eating. And I was like, Am I? and that's embarrassing, you know, at my age to be having back at that place. But, you know, you do what you need to do to get back on track. I also had gained a lot of weight right before that and I and I then I lost like 30 pounds over the summer and a doctor said to me you're set up to be anorexic I'd be really careful and I was like whatever and he was right I was anorexic by you know by Christmas um so I think it was um dieting gone crazy um and also the trauma of that first sexual experience and also just kind of being out in the world and you know i just i just my i really had like the my depression started to really become a problem at like 19.
0: okay did you experience
1: depression before then yeah i mean at 15 uh you know i that is when i really had it, would, ha- would like not be able to get out of bed and you know didn't think I belonged on the planet and was suicidal and that kind of stuff. But it was at 19 that I really dropped through the floor and um, I found that restricting was the way to, I could control my feelings, like with ex- excessive exercise or controlling my body. In a world where everything feels out of control, like controlling my, food was like the way to feel in control. Do you know what I mean? And if I ate more than I was supposed to, then i felt feel out of control. It's weird. I don't have that now. And um, uh, it was weird. And then what's interesting is that in my 40s, when I got in a rehab after I got arrested for trying to stab my ex-husband, <laughs> uh-huh. um, I laugh as I say that. Um, <laughs> 'Cause that's hilarious being make it for a felony. But that's oh, yeah. hilarious. Yeah, so put that funny. on your match profile. Um, <laughs> um, I started cutting and I had never done that before. And that was another way to feel to hurt yourself but also to feel in control. Like I would get a flood of endorphins and I felt like numb. It was weird. I'd never done it before. I was like, "Really? This is like a seventeen-year-old emo shit." Like, you're forty-two years old. You're cutting now. They kicked me mm-hmm. out for it. Actually,
0: they kicked you out for cutting.
1: Yeah, because I was cutting my wrists. Wait, like out
0: of a out, out of a, a treatment rehab? Center? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it was too suicidal. Yeah.
0: Did they send you somewhere like to help, or did they just no. kick you out?
1: They just were like, oh, "We can't." Okay. Yeah, I guess it was just too much of a liability. Oh.
0: Oh, the mental health world.
1: Yay, I know, right? It's so Yay. great.
0: <laughs> okay, so nineteen's when anorexia started and depression got really bad. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because that's how old I was when stuff started to get really, really bad too. Yeah, I was assaulted sexually assaulted at seventeen and then that led to an eating disorder oh, for too? me too. Oh wow. and I've talked to a lot of people about the connection between um eating disorders and any kind of sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting how they connect yes and so often they lead to some form of other addiction alcohol or drugs or something correct because like you're saying like it all is kind of trying to heal the same wound yes were you able to talk about your depression or eating disorder at first take you a really long time to kind of I help. would see In a psychiatrist
1: or therapist and I begged him to put me on medication and he didn't he wouldn't and um, I didn't know this was you know early 90s I had no idea that I was anorexic I didn't know what was happening so I get off a plane to see my father at Christmas and he's just like oh my god you know what I mean like I'm like emaciated. I mean, and uh, he takes me. We were. He's. He lives in Oregon, so I went up to Oregon. And he takes me for a walk in the woods, and he goes, "Hey, like, what's what's going on?" And I mm-hmm. said, "Papa, I'm afraid to eat, and I don't know why." And he goes, "It's called anorexia, and I'm gonna get you help." Oh wow! He knew all about it. And now he's a wow. now he's an expert in borderline personality disorder and meth addiction and cocaine addiction and the law and,
0: <laughs> and the law.
1: <laughs> well, you trained your dad back. very well. He's just like, can you just really? I'd like to not. Yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to read about any more of this shit. Yeah. Um, oh, and then uh, so I was working with a dietitian and I was doing what you were doing. I'm doing like I was doing a food log and whatever and I, you know taking supplements but it wasn't really getting better and then I found drugs I discovered crystal meth and everything shifted and I no okay. longer had an eating disorder because now I had a drug problem so I found it you know, drugs were a great way to control the volume of your feelings, or, and uh, the eating disorder sort of fell away. And I was sort of kind of, I was a little bit on the heavier side when I was a meth addict, which is interesting. Yeah. And I didn't Wait, really what, care. What did that look like? What did like. What how it look did like? you
0: end up starting when you started doing drugs? Like what was so I was the a really, scenario? I was
1: a good girl, and I didn't drink till I was nineteen because I was obsessed with purity, which I think is another thing that goes along with eating disorder stuff. Like some weird, you know there's like orthorexia and stuff. Like we're very it's 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 hard to find moderation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, I was very obsessed with purity, and I didn't smoke, and I didn't do drugs, and I didn't drink, and I didn't fuck anyone, and I didn't kiss anyone. And my the ki- first time I kissed someone, I was eighteen years old, which is weird growing up in Hollywood. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, um, then I uh, I drank at first time nineteen at college, and. You know, it was kind of out of control, but it, it didn't look that different from college partying. So I kind of fit in and I, I went under the radar. And then I moved to San Francisco after I got fired for drinking off the job oh <laughs> um, no. and crying and taking sick days and just like being a mess. And um, I moved to San Francisco and I just was like, I'm going to say yes. To everything, I, you know, like I, I don't know who I am and I'm going to figure out who I am by figuring out who I'm not. So I was like, I'm going to say yes to girls and performing and drugs and like anything. And it was my year of saying yes and uh, someone offered me crystal meth and I'd never been a drug addict before. I mean, I'd done, I'd smoked pot at 22 but I didn't really like it. And the second time I did crystal meth something clicked in my brain and I felt normal and I thought this is what I need to be on the planet this is what I've been looking for. You just went
0: right in there to the meth.
1: Yeah, I know, right? I didn't fuck around. I was like, um, (laughs) and yeah, and then within seven months, I was completely strung out and had like an infection in my face, my parents had to grab me and drag me back to LA and you know, more, you know, it just continued and you know, what, just rehabs and suicide attempts and, you know, morphing into, you know, periods of sobriety and, you know, shooting cocaine. I mean, it was just endless. It was fucking endless.
0: Yeah, did you notice at that time that, like, you were trying to escape yourself in a way or did that not really no, come to mind No, I thought I
1: was experimenting. I'd never been, you know, I was just like, I just felt like I was self-medicating my depression and this is what I needed to be on the planet. I didn't see a problem with it. You know, Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I was like, well, it happens to be illegal, but that's unfortunate. But, you know, um, it was the only thing that made me feel okay. And no one was gonna take that away from me. I just wanted to feel normal, and I felt normal. Um, Yeah you know of course meth gets really really gnarly as you go along so within two years you know i'm staying up for 17 days in a row and writing a new bible and you know what i mean like weird really really like picking at my skin and like really weird shit Mm. dumpster diving and it gets like very you know dark yeah i then i knew i had a drug problem and i didn't really care because i just I was depressed and I had a drug problem and then I thought well if you pull the drugs away like my feelings will kill me. And so I was afraid to get sober because I was afraid that the depression would just destroy me. But I had a seizure in a market and I was like okay I'll go into rehab and that was the first of rehabs.
0: Oh the seizures got you into rehab the first time?
1: Yeah I had one seizure and then I didn't have seizures for about five years and then I started having them like every, like two weeks out of the blue when I was living in Paris, and that's when I was diagnosed with a seizure disorder.
0: Okay, that's so interesting how you say you were um, trying to avoid, or ha- run away from like the depression side of things because you thought that that would take your life by using drugs, because that sounds like it it would work for a second. It did. Like you get to just escape?
1: Yeah, it did. I mean, you yeah. know, what drugs do is you don't have to build self esteem or a great job that gives you that makes you feel good or have a relationship or whatever you get to just plug right into feeling fulfilled you don't have to build anything mm-hmm. it's great if you're lazy or scared or you don't know how to do it you know what i mean and i also had the biochemistry my mother was addicted to amphetamines and an alcoholic my uncle was addicted to amphetamines i mean there's so much mental illness and addiction in my family i mean i just was you know i was just i was a i was a time bomb just ticking, you know? I had no idea that once mm-hmm. I did it, it would just click. And like a vacuum opened up, and it was like perfect.
0: Uh, how far in did you have your uh, seizure after starting?
1: I guess I was already just only, God, it seems much longer, but I guess it was about a year into doing crystal meth every day that I had a, a seizure in the market. And then I didn't have any others for years. And then mm-hmm. I had them every, like, like I said, like every couple weeks, and then, Started, we started trying to get medication to try and get it under control. So I gave myself hyperactive lesions on my frontal lobe, which I still have, um, from drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, You know, it was just like be like, I'd just keel over and start flopping around and I wouldn't have any aura or anything like that. So I lost my license twice, I cracked my head open, I broke teeth, I got stitches in my face. It was, it was pretty gnarly. And that was really when I felt like my body had really betrayed me.
0: did that connection kind of make sense to you at the time of like your body betraying you like did you feel like angry at your body
1: yeah I also did that and I felt I felt scared I felt really unsafe in my own body you know what I mean again which has always been something that I've always felt sort of unsafe with it with myself you know what I mean Mm -hmm. unsafe with the things that drive me, whether it be drug addiction or an eating disorder or sex addiction or whatever, just that my body wasn't really like a safe place for me. Um, And that uh, it was, it's also one of those things where you think it's not gonna happen to you and then it happens to you. You know what I mean? Like everyone always thinks like, well that'll never happen to me until it happens to you. Like we're we're all eligible for whatever it is. Mental illness, cancer, a horrible accident, like whatever, do you know what I mean? And also good stuff. So you never think that stuff's gonna happen to you until it happens to you. And so I was like, oh my God. Like, you know, I was like, why me, why me? But why not you? I mean, it's not unheard of to get epilepsy from crystal meth, it's rare, but it's not unheard of. What
0: happened, I'm kind of going backwards a little bit, but. What kind of happened growing up to... Like, what messages did you hear about uh, the body, emotions? Did anything in there contribute to you, like, not feeling safe with yourself?
1: My mother was a teenage model. She was very beautiful. All my dad's wives were extraordinarily beautiful. Um, And they were all not Jewish. So they were beautiful in a not Jewish way. So I always... I didn't feel like I I was pretty in the right way. I looked too Jewish and I didn't like that. Um, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted a button nose and a, you know what I mean? I wanted that look, you know? Um, I wanted the Bridget Bardot look or whatever. And um, So there was always a lot of emphasis on what you looked like in my family. I got scouted to be a model when I was 19 and my father gave me money to have my portfolio done but told me that I wasn't pretty enough. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And my, my mother was extraordinarily vain. I can remember her looking at herself in the rear view mirror when we were driving when I was a little girl. Like very, very vain. Um, and a lot of my stepmothers, you know, I grew. I mean, I grew. I'm. I grew up in the world of plastic surgery. Like, you know, you just get a facelift when you're whatever, and you know, it's just like it's a normal thing to do. And so, um, I just, for me, I never felt. You know, I had curly hair, which I blow straight. Still, I didn't. I, I, I didn't feel like I looked right. And I also didn't feel like I belong. I felt something was wrong with me. I, belong. I didn't, I felt different from other kids. Like I wasn't as happy as them. I kind of was always watching myself from the outside. And a lot of that is stuff that you'll hear people who become addicts talk about, is sort of always feeling, you know, not comfortable in their skin from a very early age. And I can remember that from when I was like, you know, in like fourth grade, feeling weird.
0: Yeah. That makes sense, especially just talking about like growing up and getting messages about image being like so much, holding so much of your worth, and then not feeling like you can hit that point yeah. or have that. That would make sense to not feel safe in your body then.
1: Yeah. I mean, I started, I think, to binge eat at around 15 just occasionally. Um, And I started to, that's when in the body dysmorphia where I was like, I'm too ugly to get uh, get out of bed or be on the planet or breathe, like that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like I would spend Saturdays in bed and I can get out of bed. I was like 15 years old. Oh,
0: gosh.
1: And I mean, that's when they probably really should have like done some really serious intervention. Um, But yeah, just already just really hating myself and the, and my body and feeling like if I look like this, then everything would be different kind mm-hmm. of thing. Which is never true. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> know Say what I mean? Because these people are like, <laughs> you're sure. gorgeous. And it's like, I mean, okay. Like I look back now at pictures and I was like, at, at me at 24 and I was like, hi, what is your problem? Like you don't really like, you don't realize what you what you really look like, and you don't realize your real beauty, your true, your you know, till later. Mm-hmm. At the time, I felt like shit, and I look back and I'm like, well, fuck me, I wish I'd known that I looked like that, you know.
0: Where do you think the body dysmorphia and stuff comes from? Is it like a a neurological thing? I think or? it's
1: partly, yeah, I do. I don't, okay. I was gonna go into, uh, into a clinic in England for it. Um, like, I don't have it so bad where I can't leave the house and stuff like that. I mean, but I used to refuse to take photos, and if I saw a photo, I would cry for three days. And I didn't want to be on the planet. Like, now I've gotten to a place where I'm kind of like, well, you know, I have to, I'm 51, I've kind of grown into it. I think I've accepted what I look like. I think I also realized that, you know, it's a picture. It's not what you look yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's, there are it's good pictures and bad pictures. That's why models yeah. take thousands of them and there's tons of shitty pictures. There are people who look amazing in pictures and not that great in real life and vice versa. You know what I mean? It's just a picture. But it mm-hmm. used to just really throw me. Yeah, I think there's an OCD element to it because the things that I focus, hyper focus on, no one else notices and that's, there's a compulsive, obsessive element to my thinking even now, that, um, that is, I think, is linked to um, addiction. And where how, I find a kind so? of ruminative cycle where I can't get off of something. If I'm look, if I start looking for a, you know, a wallet or a ring or a whatever or a song, like I can't, I just can't get off it. I just like like looped. I'm in a loop. It's great. It can be really great creatively sometimes. Um, but it can also, because it's, you know, if you're a little bit of obsessive, it can make you really great at something, but it can also be really irritating and derailing. I uh, The compulsiveness of my drug use, that sort of weird, obsessive thinking hasn't really gone away. That makes And I'm sense. eight years clean, and I'll meditate and whatever, and it's like, I still have that.
0: Tell me about your first time in rehab and kind of like, What that looked like a bit with going to get help for the first time.
1: So, I had that seizure and I woke up um, on a gurney and they said, did you do any drugs tonight? And I said, well obviously really shitty ones because here I am. Like being a total (laughs) dick as usual, right? unbelievable. Sure. Um, I couldn't, I didn't know what year it was. I didn't know who the president was. So they were like, fuck, she's had a seizure or a stroke or something, right? And they took me to the hospital. And I called my dad and I said, I'm ready to go into rehab. They'd been trying to get me to go into rehab for years. And I said, I'm ready. And he said, I already know I'm on my way down. I don't know what the fuck that means. He had like a paternal premonition. I have no idea. So um, my first rehab was a dual diagnosis center. um, And during the day we were all in this center doesn't exist anymore and at night I lived in this house and some people were, you know, had like substance abuse problems and other people were like extremely schizophrenic or bipolar or whatever. So it was a mix of people with like mm-hmm. severe mental illness and, all, and and people with drug problems and mental illness and then people with just, just, just drug problems, which I, I don't know if that's even possible. I guess it is. I mean, there's. I think there's an 80% yeah. comorbidity of, like, mental illness and drug use, but, okay. Or drug addiction. Yeah. Um, it was... I was 24. I was 25. Very angry. I would kick chairs across the room. I would fight incessantly with the therapist. I thought I was better than everybody else. I didn't think I belonged there. Um... Eventually they moved me into a women's Catholic sober living run by a nun. And I'm the only Jew and I'm the only drug addict. And I'm the youngest one. And I'm twenty five and I drive a sixty seven Dodge Charger that you can hear from seven blocks away that has primer on it. I'm wearing tight dresses that with no underwear. I had long acrylic nails. I I smoked. I swore like a sailor. I got my belly button pierced. I mean I was Courtney Love, I was I was a fucking nightmare. I was a nightmare. So you were like rebelling from it. Oh, big time, big (laughs) time. Really, really rebellious and really angry. And you know, when I got off crystal meth, I was really angry and incredibly depressed. And then I got acne everywhere. Because it's so toxic. I mean, that shit is made with like, gun bluing and draino, and so like I got acne all over my face and my chest and my back and everywhere. And then they put me on Accutane, yeah. And I was kind of—I I, was—I gained a lot. of, I gained some weight, and I remember my my pants splitting one day. I don't recall being that upset about. I mean, about the weight. I was cur more curvy, but I don't recall being really that upset about it. And I didn't like pick back up with my eating disorder or anything like that.
0: Okay, did your eating disorder pop back up at all in between uh, when you were 19 and now?
1: No, but I don't think you ever, I don't think it ever goes away. I think it's always in your head a little bit. Like the Mm -hmm. way that you see food in your body is always kind of colored by it. I don't have a scale in my house. I haven't had a scale for years. So I'm one of the few people that goes to the chiropractor, the doctor, and hopes for a high number, you know? It's weird, like they're like, oh, you've gained weight. I'm like, yes! They're like, okay, like that's not usually women's responses, you know, or I'll see the number and I'll go, oh God, like I'm not doing well at all. Like, um, Mm -hmm. what I see is that when I get stressed out or upset, I don't eat, I shut down. Mm-hmm. I don't, there are people that stress eat and there are people who don't eat when they're stressed. And so when my ex-boyfriend broke up with me, I lost a lot of weight and I started smoking again. I didn't relapse on drugs or alcohol, but I lost an enormous amount of weight. Like people thought I was ill. They were like, are you, mm-hmm. like I was 109 pounds. I was really skinny and I'm 5'7". It was pretty skinny.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've not, in the four years since been able to get back to my normal weight and keep it there for any length of time. My mom got dementia and my father got cancer and yeah, a pandemic happened and you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, and I live by myself and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's not exactly been like the calmest time in my life either.
0: Yeah, I can, I can definitely, definitely understand how all that would go that way. What do you think the difference is, I guess, between being nineteen and not 19 eating versus now and not eating?
1: Now I like I'm like, oh, it's time to eat. I don't care if you're hungry or not, versus then where I was hungry and I would, you know, you could have a frozen yogurt for lunch and, you know, you can have more than seven hundred calories a day or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like that whole yeah. thing. And then you'd have to be on the stairmaster for, you know, an hour at the highest speed and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I couldn't get over a certain weight, or I'd freak out. I, in that way, I trust my body. I don't, I don't, I, I can eat whatever, whatever I want. I can eat whatever the fuck I want. I can eat, you know. I'm not worried about like, well, I can't eat that. I mean, I can't drink milk because I'm lactose intolerant, and it'll make me like, you know, I'll just crop dust everywhere. But I mean, <laughs> it's like <laughs> um, choose but, when you do that. You know, I trust that my body will tell me when it's hungry, and that it's. You know, when, when I'm not, it's fine. That, like I don't, yeah. that, that's not an an issue anymore. Okay. I'm not restricting. Kind of I'm not fighting anything. sugar. Like I don't really crave sugar. I mean, c- nicotine was really hard. That one was really a bitch to quit. I really, 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 really like nicotine. Uh, I stopped because it's bad for you. And my dad asked me to. And also I thought I would gain weight, and I didn't.
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said about it in your book, but when you started to... I know you had a roommate, Amanda, I think was her name, but when you started to notice, like, a sex addiction... So,
1: I guess it was about... God, It was an early sobriety, and um, I just... You know, I was going through a criminal trial for trying to stab my ex, and I also was going through divorce. I had no money at all. He left me, like, penniless in a psych ward. I tried to kill myself. So I was like starting, oh, and I just, and I was trying to, I, I mean, I. they put me on Valium. I was having such a gnarly nervous breakdown. And it was just too much to get sober, have a ner- you know, get through a nervous breakdown. I needed to get out of my body. And vaping and smoking weren't cutting it. I stopped cutting. And I was like, I have to get the fuck out of my body. I'm in so much pain, and I'm in so much fear, and I'm so uncomfortable with my feelings. And so I started to sexually act out and it wasn't, you know, about sex and it wasn't about connection or intimacy or anything like that. It was about, I wanted validation that I was pretty and sexual and wanted and I wanted some time out of my head. I think looking back, I was really looking for love and connection and pretending you know, that I wasn't and I was using these guys. I'm using you! But I would leave and like cry driving home. I felt like such garbage. And then I would do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And it was so humiliating and I, you know, and I talk about it really honestly in the book because very few women talk about sex addiction really honestly and it was so mortifying because if you're a guy and you fuck a lot of people, you're a stud. Yeah. But if you're a girl, you're a fucking slut. I don't care if they're slut walks and sex positive. People still view you differently. Yeah. You're considered easy or whatever. And it was like, I was like, well, I read The Ethical Slut and I was trying to reframe the whole thing. But the, the, the truth of it was, I couldn't sleep with someone and not bond to them. Even if I didn't like them. That was just my, that's my biology. And that's a lot of women's biology. Someone's inside your fucking body, man.
0: Yeah, it would make sense to bond.
1: Right. So then I would bond to that person and they were just interested in just fucking me or, and so I wouldn't hear from them for whenever they wanted to get off again. And so in order to break that bond, I would have to fuck someone else, you know, and then I'd have to, you know, in order to break that bond with that person, I have to fuck someone else. So it was a horrible train. Ah, It was, it was the most painful, sex addiction is, was the most painful thing I've ever been through, to be honest oh, with you. wow. Yeah, by far.
0: Do you put that in like a separate category, I guess, then than like, like drug, drug addiction? No, or? I think it
1: is an extension of my, I think it's all addiction. Okay. I think I think my eating disorder, I think drugs, alcohol, vaping, sex, love, it's all under addiction, which is I don't like myself. I need you. I need something outside of me to feel make me feel whole and happy and complete and validated and change my feelings. Hmm. It's all the same. And once I get a taste of it and I and, and it gives me a little bit of dopamine, I'm that's it. I'm, I'm on it. I'm clung, you know, and it's a fucking I can't get enough.
0: What did that look like coming out of all of this? You've been sober for like eight years? Yes. Okay, because that sounds so difficult to just be like, okay, I'm going to try to not do that now when all the reasons in the world, like, this is a painful place. It would make sense to want to go back to those things. Um...
1: You know, to be honest with you, I I, I don't ever want to go, it's a pandemic, first of all. You know, I'm not even seeing people, let alone fucking them, because I don't really want to get sick. I don't have the best immune system. Um, I really hit a bottom with that, where it didn't really work for me. Just like I did with drugs and alcohol, where it's like, that's not working for me. You know what I mean? I don't want to go back. I know where that will take me. I know it won't work for me. And, you know, I got my heart shattered so badly by this last relationship um, that I kind of sexually shut down. I haven't really, I think I fooled around with one person. I haven't really dated anybody. I kind of just, I just really shut down because I just didn't, I was so hurt. You know, when you get sexually rejected in a relationship for whatever reason, it really fucks you up. Especially when you have a history of having body dysmorphia and being insecure and needing to, you know what I mean? Am I not pretty enough? Is my body not okay? Am I, you know what I mean? Like all this kind of stuff. And so um, I didn't want to fall back into the trap and so I just started to work on that stuff with the romantic coach. And um, also, honestly, I'm not comfortable there's people that are like, come over and let's, fuck. like a friend that I've known for 20 years and the program was like, well, I want to, fu- let's fuck. It'll be fine. And I'm like, it won't be fine. Like, you'll be, I'll bond to you. And you'll just want to be friends. I don't want to just get laid. I want a boyfriend. I want to get married again. And also, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, I'm so skinny right now, I'm uncomfortable being naked with someone. I want to gain weight and I also, want to do things differently. I want to do it slowly and get to know someone slowly. And you know, I'm not looking to just
0: get laid. That sounds really like you're honestly just taking care of yourself. Yeah,
1: and also I know how obsessive I get just even like if I fool around with someone, just even messing around with them and then I'm like looking for the text all the time. I mean, I'm such a sex and love addict. It's so gnarly. It's so painful and it, it, it goes right back to stuff with my mom. You know, it goes back to anyone who's emotionally unavailable, like that's my jam. You know what I mean? And I'm anxiously attached. So if you don't text me back in 30 seconds, I'm freaking out and thinking you're mad at me. And, you know, it all goes back to my mom being emotionally unavailable when I was a little girl. And I know that. And I'm chasing my mom's love. If I can make this asshole love me who doesn't want a relationship and has made that really clear, I can prove I'm lovable. Mm-hmm. and I just I can't I just it's so painful and so exhausting and I was like let's just work on a second book and sell a series fuck that and we'll do a podcast <laughs> you know what I mean I'll yeah, marry absolutely. my cat. yeah marry my cat fuck it you know I'm just like I just you know I really I'm doing a lot of work around it to be attracted to different people but also to love myself enough to have boundaries so that if someone doesn't keep their word or shows a red flag that I remove myself from the situation instead of going,
0: I'll change them. Yeah, that is very, very good and very difficult to do without, I guess the self-awareness that it sounds like you really, really have. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, I've earned it through an enormous amount of pain, you know? Yeah. Because also the amount of charge that I had around people I had just met, I was like, it doesn't really, it obviously doesn't have to do with them. It has, they're symbolic of something else. And it's a childhood wound. And that's the most painful shit ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, what you're talking about with your mom and trying to like fill that now. I, yeah, I and my, mom so that, now. my mom has dementia oh, now.
1: My mom has dementia now. So now she's, and she's deaf. She can't, she really can't hear me and can't give me what I need. She mm. left when I was 13 for 10 years. And she was also you know, she got sober, I guess I was around three, but she was just emotionally unavailable. But her mother was schizophrenic and beat the crap out of her. So she did great compared to where she came from. And my father was yeah. very much took, was mother and father, but that created a sort of almost emotional incest where oh, I yeah. got confused about who he was to me. And then I was sort of his also, his sort of emotional wife. And I'll tell you, I'll be really honest with you. You know, part of the reason that I stayed um, really chaste in high school was because I didn't want to be sexual because I was afraid that if I, if my father saw me as a woman, he would push me away. And he was my primary caregiver. My mother was living in Mexico. I was going through puberty with my father. I couldn't afford for my father to push me away. And I remember when I got my period, I tried to hide it from him. And all my friends brought me tampons and pads to school and someone stole them. And then I oh. just had to tell him, so I wrote on a note, I got my period, please don't think I'm a grown-up. And I folded it and I threw it on his desk and I ran into my closet and hid and cried. And I must have been ah. 13. And he came in and he said, hey, Ames, do you uh, need to go to the pharmacy? You want me to drive to the pharmacy? Mm. I said, yeah. So, my father was my mother and my father. So, it was really important that my father didn't see me as a woman or a sexual being. I needed to continue to be his child because mm-hmm. he was my main. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense to me.
1: So, wow. um, and now people are like, wow, you have a really weird relationship. You know, when I was 17, I was still holding his hand because he was my mom. You know what I mean? He was my yeah. prime. Some people are like, is that his girlfriend or his daughter? And people thought it was really weird. There was never any incest. But looking back to, I think it was emotionally incestuous and some boundaries were crossed. For sure. Yeah. But you needed him, man. I, I totally needed him. And I, I mean, I'd be a serial killer without that man. Oh, God knows gosh. what the fuck I would be like if he hadn't taught me to bowl and taken me to school and taught me to write and basketball and a bicycle and, you know, like everything. But that's the problem. It's like, I'm a dude. I can play poker, but I don't know how to put on, you know, I don't know makeup. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't cook, but I can, you know, throw a basket, you know, I can. As long as you can play poker. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I was used to, and when I was 20, in my 20s, I was like, men were really freaked out by me. And I was like, they're like, you're too intellectual. You're too aggressive. You're too much... Like me, I thought it was cool, and I mean, I am masculine and I have a low voice, and I but why is that a bad thing? why doesn't why doesn't someone want a partner? What am I supposed to be like?, hey,
0: you're so funny. Like
1: I don't get it. You fucking cook.
0: Oh my gosh. that just goes into a whole other thing. yeah, and it got really confusing,
1: and I just felt like, well, wait, my dad raised me to be his companion. And now no one wants that. No one wants someone who is mouthy and smart and aggressive. They want these like, you know, demure like chicks. And I was like, and that's who he married. And I was like pissed. Yeah. And confused. Oh wow. Yeah, even, I mean, people are still like, you're terrifying. I'm like, I'm a kitten. I'm like, that's just, I'm, that's all bravado from insecurity. Don't believe any of it. But I've always felt not feminine enough. It's been a big one.
0: I just kind of just feel like you don't fit whatever mold this world's trying to put you yeah, in. Yeah,
1: and now I'm kind of just like, oh, fuck it. You know what I mean? I'm 51 years old, I'm just like, whatever, you know? I am what I am. It's was kind of like rock, chick, whatever. You know, it's like, fuck it. Yeah. You know, it's cool to be unique and I accept my, you know, weirdnesses and I fly my freak flag and, you know, yeah, I don't like dresses. I like jeans and I like flat shoes and you know ripped up T-shirts and you know whatever. I don't give a shit. I'm me. That's it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's I get, awesome. you know
1: I've come to a place of self acceptance with that. The aging is a little harder. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Wait. do you feel
0: like though like with the aging, you'd be feeling more like liberated to just be who you are, um, or does that feel different? Not in
1: Hollywood. No, aging is different because, you know, now I look back at like five years ago and I'm like, fuck. Like, that was before, like, shit was like drop. Like, now, like, you just, like, you, like, look down and, like, shit, like, shifts. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you're like, whoa. Um, And I look pretty decent for my age, but it's like, you know, growing up in LA, everyone, you know, even anyone in their 50s fucking looks 30. Like, you don't, you're do not you not allowed to age here.
0: That's so toxic.
1: I know, but it's oh. just true, and it's like... It's how it is. Yeah, I mean, I went on a dating site recently, and it was like, I put in my real age, and I was out of everyone's, like, filter. I didn't come up at all. Oh, when oh I was 45, God. I was shooting fish in a barrel. I, I was, like, ordering... It was, like, ordering... Fucking pizza. It was so fucking easy. Fifty-one. Not even men who are my age are looking for women who are fifty-one. And I was like, this is. Oh, I wow. was like, wow, look at the ageism, man. That's gnarly. Yeah, this is like a
0: way bigger problem.
1: And I think it's changing, oh, and that's why I always say my real age. And no, very few people talk about their real age. And I don't give a shit. Yeah. How are we gonna break it? Mm-hmm. If we mm-hmm. don't talk about it. Because, you know, what's the other option? Dying? (laughs) You get older, you die. That's
0: it. That's it. Yeah. I have, like, three more questions for you. Go for it. Is that okay? Yes, of course. The first thing I guess I would ask is, like, what are ways that today, because, like, I know that need to escape and want to take a break from your own body just for a second the thing that that like feeling that you were trying to avoid by not eating or drinking or drugs and that kind of thing i mm-hmm. actually was talking about this recently with my therapist but like what are ways that you let yourself do that that are not harmful napping napping okay
1: that's what i do now i nap
0: <laughs> that i'm serious sounds, i take yeah. a nap
1: every goddamn day i mean part of it is epilepsy medication and but part of it is like if i want to check out i take a nap if I'm okay. too upset well, or wired doable. or spiraling out, I'm like, go lay down. And it's like reboot, yeah. rebooting the, the computer. And I wake okay. up and I'm fine. Well, that fine. sounds very doable. You know, yeah. I also, I call friends. You know, you want me to say like, oh, I, you know, take a walk and get in nature. No. Like I, I mean, like, I wish <laughs> I did that shit, but I don't. I lay down. I go to sleep.
0: Okay. Um, my, I guess, follow-up question to that is, what do you do, or do you do anything that you feel like helps you connect to yourself and feel more inside of your body.
1: Working out, I think, mm. you know I mean, to see myself get stronger or more balanced. I and mean, when we were starting, I like I mean literally I'd fall like right out of the screen and fall over and it was we would just laugh. Um, uh, I think that seeing muscles and feeling strong and whatever is good. Um, that feels makes me feel inside my, in my body, I think. Um, I think that, you know, taking like a shower, washing your hair, like makes, you know, being clean. You know, to me, I, that really makes me feel good. I mean, like, being in your body, God, it's like, um, even though I can't dance at all, at all, like I'm horrible, <laughs> I'm and hor- I'm a horrible singer, like I I I I really really I'm horrible. Um I put on music and just you know, clean the house and you know, sing to the cat and whatever. Mm. Mm. Um when well. when before the pandemic, I would put in music and I would walk to my meeting. And it was like a 20 minute walk every each way and it was really nice to feel the cool air on my face yeah. and to hear music and to just be walking and you know, it was really, you know, like yesterday I went out all day with my, with my best friend who just got tested and we were like selling clothes and whatever and it was like, I don't know, being around other, I, I, I do better being around other people being connected yeah. to other, I need to be connected to other people. If I go, if I'm by myself, my head tells me I'm gross and a piece of shit and this and that and whatever. And it's like, when I'm around other people and other people are reflecting back to me who I am, I like who, whatever that, whoever that person is that they're seeing. You know, and I mm-hmm. like connecting with people. Hey, I love your hair. Have a great day, like, you know.
0: Yeah, same here, pandemic sucks Yeah,
1: it's really that, been difficult. It it's been super, super, yeah. super difficult on my mental health. Like, really bad.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, it makes sense, all the things you're saying, like the taking a walk, the showering, working out, and all yeah, that. Yeah, washing like, just my hair, you know?
1: Self-care, you... like, you know?
0: Yeah, things that just like remind you, oh, I have a body, and I'm in my body, and like, that's okay.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's like, I don't know, I guess being, you know, having having to have this hand surgery is like, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, I don't know how people with, like, chronic pain deal, because, like, I... I now have, Mm. I'm like, God, I wish I, I, you you don't know, you can't be grateful for something until you lose it. So it was like, until I had injured my hand helping my dad when he had cancer, like now that that's like a fucking problem and I have to have surgery on it, like almost two years later, because it won't heal. Like before that, being able to like turn a doorknob and not drop to your knees in pain was like not something I thought about, you know what I mean?
0: Oh wow, yeah.
1: And now it's like, you know, as you get older, you're like, you know, you walk up a flight of stairs and your, you know, your knee is like, fuck you. You're like, ooh, okay. Like. <laughs> yeah, what you mean? You're like, wow, like my what? And you know, like weird clicking noises in your back and you're like, what the fuck, you know? And it's like, you know, I try and remember like, I should be dead. Like I am lucky that everything is still intact and working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I try and be grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good and hard to do.
1: You know, yeah, and yeah. not being sick. I get sick a lot, so when I'm not sick, I'm like, yay. You know,
0: <laughs> I'm not sick. Well, my my last question for you is a totally different topic, is that cool? Yeah, Very of course. different from the flow. It's your show, girl. <laughs> okay, cool. So, Amy, would you rather only ever get to have really mediocre frozen yogurt for the rest of your life no more like good ice cream or good anything just frozen yogurt or would you rather have a personal assistant that was a beaver who only spoke french and you didn't know what he was saying but you were assuming he was doing a good job but he also farts a lot, so you have to deal with that. Are you are you taking a lot of acid? <laughs> <laughs> you would think I was. That is the you would weirdest
1: fucking question ever. Is that a stoner question? That is so bizarre. Maybe it's been a while since
0: I smoked weed. A bean, French but... beaver who farts a lot as my per- is he a good personal assistant? Yeah, he, well, we don't know because he only speaks yeah, French. He, so <laughs> so I don't know I mean I don't
1: need a personal assistant right now I mean I might someday hopefully I don't know that I I I used to speak French um the farting doesn't sound terrific I don't mind that he's a (laughs) beaver um so I either have to have this personal assistant this French farting beaver personal assistant, or I, I can eat shitty frozen yogurt for the rest of my life. Those are my two yeah. options.
0: Just frozen yogurt. Everything else is great, you're living a great life, but you just, just get to eat frozen yogurt for And not for instead of everything. ice cream? Well, just instead of everything. You're just only eating frozen yogurt.
1: Oh, you're only eating frozen yogurt instead of any real food at all?
0: Anything, yeah, it gives you all your nutrients oh, and no. stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No. So the Fuck beaver. No.
1: Yeah, I'll take the, fr- the farting French beaver, please for two <laughs> hundred. That's 200, why I would 200. Do The farting <laughs> for, for two hundred. All right. Yeah. No. Well, when Fuck I find that. one, I'll like, send him your night, way. Last night we ordered my friend and I. We were watching a prison show. and We ordered, you know, like I don't know, some takaya, which is like you know, pretentious organic you know Mexican food, and it was like amazing. Ugh. You know, and you know, you know when I you're eating that something now. that's so good, and you're like dancing around.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. A celebration! Yeah, you're like woo. can't miss that. Yeah,
1: and mm-hmm. it was just like you know, stuff. yeah, with guacamole and chips, and I was like, you, woo, 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 woo. you know, <laughs> we're watching this show, and I was like so happy. Yeah, I'll take the Beaver. That's good. When does
0: he show up? Okay, probably on Tuesday. Okay, cool, cool. I'll send him your way. <laughs> just listen for the There's french gas accent sex. it's and not you'll a know? big deal
1: you know gas gasex it's yeah. not a big deal i'll brush up on my french we'll work, we'll make it work
0: okay well amy how can people find your book find you the book's been out your for work, like,
1: like 3 years so the best you can you know if you buy it used which you're, you're you you can it doesn't really help me with sales um, and i'm trying to get a second book deal so the best thing for me is if you buy it new no. But you know it's a pandemic, and I get it. So mostly that's going to be Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you know, online. Um, and there's Audible, which you listen to, which everyone seems to love. Um, uh, you can find me. I have a podcast called Rehab Confidential, where we talk about drug policy. We talk to filmmakers, authors, celebrities, porn stars, whatever. Everything about recovery and doctors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's on Tuesdays on Apple. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Amy Dresner, D R E S N E R. I'm on Twitter at Amy Dresner. I'm on Facebook at Amy Dresner.
0: Cool. Well, I will put all of that in the show notes below, and I highly recommend the the audiobook to whoever's listening. Yes, Amy. Thank you again of so course. so much. Tuesday. Be expecting the Beaver. It sounds like that's your podcast day, so it'll be convenient. <laughs> But, yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks, Jackie.